0: Hey everybody, welcome to this live room, this week's live room edition. My name is Alex Frank, the host of Lockdown Bearcats, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. We are free and available everywhere you get your podcasts and on YouTube. Don't forget to subscribe to our Lockdown Bearcats YouTube channel. Follow it too to get an alert every time we drop a new episode. Russ Heldman, my colleague at All Bearcats and Sports Illustrated, is going to join me here in a matter of moments. He is on the way. We're going to talk a lot of things today. Early signing day recap. The men's basketball team's on a three-game winning streak. I'm really excited about the way they have played these last three games. I really think that they might be starting to turn a corner defensively. Offensively, they're playing well, too. Victor Locken is looking like Trey Scott of 2020. And just maybe they can do enough in conference play to put themselves in position to uh, at least be talked about on Selection Sunday. So big, big live show ahead, live room show ahead. Um, early signing day recap. I said this earlier today on today's episode of Lockdown Bearcats. By the way, this live room will be podcasted tomorrow. Um, <clears throat> so this will be for Friday's show. So I should, given that I care about our sponsors, I should tell you that. Hang on one second. Today's episode of Lockdown Bearcats is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online, as you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before, Bet Online where the game starts. And so, my takeaway from early signing day obviously goes back to the quarterback room and the fact that you're going to have four quarterbacks right now, at least on the roster, Brady Drogosh, Evan Prater, Ben Bryan, who announced yesterday, he's coming back for a sixth season of college football and um, Emory Jones, a transfer signing from Arizona state. And so I I really am wondering what's going to happen in the off season with the quarterback battle. Ben Bryan is the most experienced, but I feel like he also is the least equipped to play in a satter field offense. After, you know, watching, as I adjust the screen there, Malik Cunningham for, um, you know, four years and the numbers he put up. I really think that this offense needs to be run by a dual-threat quarterback, and unfortunately, Ben Bryan, for as good as he is, as experienced as he is, and for as good of a leader as he might be, I don't think he brings that. I think the Bearcats team needs a dual-threat quarterback like Desmond Ritter. I'm not saying that Prater's going to be Desmond Ritter, or Emery Jones is going to be Desmond Ritter, or Brady Drogosh is going to be Desmond Ritter, but I am saying that they're going to be able to provide some offense. The Bearcats identity can win in the Big 12. I look at what Kansas State did to TCU in the Big 12 Championship. I look at you know what Baylor did last year. I look at the Big 12 this year and their statistics and I I conclude and John Garcia Jr., our director of football recruiting at Sports Illustrated and our recruiting expert here on the Locked On um College Channel. I really think that you can win with a ground and pound attack offensively. But I also know that if you don't have a dual threat quarterback and dual threat quarterbacks allow you to be able to run the football, you know, if you don't have that quarterback, who's a threat to run, um, on the, the outside, whatever, um, if you don't have that, then defenses can load the box to stop the run. If you do have a dual threat quarterback, they're not going to be able to load the box because they have to play on the perimeter. So I look at that and I say, you know what? This team is in good hands right now when it comes to having four different quarterbacks. And now I'm going to bring in, Ooh, he's even got a Christmas sweater on today. Um, I'm going to bring on the, the man who helps him, who helps me make some sausage every week as we like to say. And, um, Russ, uh, first of all, I, I like the Christmas sweater. Did you wear one to the game last night?
1: I did not actually wear a Christmas sweater to the game last night. We uh, went with regular business uh, business casual. But
0: here's the festive
1: garb today. Ready to go.
0: The festive – well, I mean, if I well, – I got this Reds cup here. And there's red on the hat. I got my Bengals stuff on. Big game on Saturday for the Bengals. Um by the way, Russ, I ran into our boss on Sunday at uh, Raymond James Stadium, James Rapine.
1: Oh, nice! Yeah, there you go. Yeah,
0: there you go. So, uh, good times down in Tampa Bay. Um,
1: watch that! Uh, watch, that there, watch that echo there, Alex.
0: Let me let me lower the. Uh, so, I have on my holiday wish list new equipment. Amazing Get how this podcast has grown with subpar <laughs> equipment. All right. So, Russ, welcome as always. Um, um, this this is fun what we do every week now. Our weekly live room. This is for today, and this will be for our show tomorrow. So we're going to talk a lot of things, Russ. As you uh, said on Twitter, we're going to talk about early signing day, men's basketball. I think Russ may be starting to turn a corner a little bit defensively for sure. Offensively, I mean, you know, they're not scoring as much as they did against Miami, but I think that if they're able to play defense, that could make up for it. So we're going to break that all down right here on Lockdown Bearcats. You are Locked On Bearcats, your daily podcast on the Cincinnati Bearcats, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. If there was a timestamp for when I played the open, I think this would be the latest time in an episode I've played the open, but that's okay. Russ Hellman is my colleague. Let me put our names up here. Excuse me. Um, Russ Hellman is my colleague at All Bearcats and Sports Illustrated. You know him well. He writes for All Bearcats. He's been cranking out stuff like you would not believe. My name is Alex Frank. I'm your host of Locked On Bearcats, part of Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're free and available everywhere you get your podcasts and on YouTube. Don't forget to subscribe to our Locked On Bearcats YouTube channel. Russ, we're up to 652 subscribers and counting, so... That nice. is a pretty, pretty darn um, good stat right there. I'll say it again. I said it earlier. Today's episode of Lockdown Bearcats is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online, as you covered it this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before, Bet Online, where the game starts. As always, we will take your questions in the chat. We will take your comments. We will take anything you want to talk about related to the Cincinnati Bearcats. Russ, yesterday was early signing day. The Bearcats. Um, early signing class headlined by Brady Drogosh, Emery Jones, Luke Kandra, just to name a few. What is your biggest takeaway from yesterday's early signees?
1: Uh, we're okay. I think I think you're on stable ground. I think that's your takeaway. Not great. Not super disappointing. You get the nine commits that were still locked in heading into signing day. Locked down with their NLIs, you had um, a couple of hard commits in Barry Jackson. That was a great flip late in the night. The three-star wide receiver who was previously committed to Nebraska, now going to be coming to Cincinnati. Obviously, we know how much this team and this program needs an influx of pass-catching talent heading into the Big 12. And I'm sure we're going to be seeing – and Scott Satterfield, I asked him directly yesterday – we will be seeing – some wide receivers coming to this team in the transfer portal over the coming weeks. So Barry Jackson not going to be asked to do, I would imagine, a whole lot as a freshman unless he comes into camp and just knocks everybody's socks off. But that was a great late addition. And then you retain Brady I Like, you and I broke it down. It was finding the right coach and then retaining Brady. Those were the two top things you had to get done. You could not let that kind of talent, your only four-star remaining in this class in terms of composite ratings, go out the door they didn't allow that to happen and now you could argue that Brady's entering a better situation for himself personally in terms of offensive scheme and overall coaching than he would have entered with Luke Fickle uh, tenure when you think about the schemes that they run and the fact of how friendly Scott Satterfield's offense can be to quarterbacks and that brings us to Emory Jones who was here on a visit last weekend um on Saturday yeah for the seventy-eight sixty 60 win over LaSalle was sitting in the student section area and posted about that then they got the job done pretty quickly he decided to transfer from Arizona State to Cincinnati and now a guy with legitimate SEC experience who had a really really rough situation last year in terms of scheme play style situation talent around him and coaching situation I think Emory Jones could really cap his college career on on the right foot after taking a huge hit to his stock at Arizona State.
0: I was going to ask you about that, Russ, because I look at Emery Jones and I look at Brady Drogosh and I look at Evan Prater and then something you didn't mention, but I'm, but I'm sure you're well aware, Ben Bryant announced yesterday on Twitter he's coming yes. back yeah. for a sixth season of college football. But How something that, that scenario stands out that, you to me, that
1: you and I laid out in August, Alex, came yeah. to exact fruition, Ben Bryant yep. back back.
0: We'll talk about that because I I did say that on today's show. So I think if and you alluded to Scott Satterfield's offensive scheme. I think that offensive scheme is gonna fit the um play of a dual threat quarterback. Is that right?
1: No doubt. It, it's it's it thrives off a of dual threat quarterback. That's the only kind of quarterback he's offered in terms of 2024 players. He's going after a pair of top ten passers in that class. So Scott Satterfield, he gets it. I mean, this guy understands what's going on around him he gets the nil he gets the transfer portal doesn't like either of them i don't think i think he doesn't have a really any issue with nil but is not a huge fan of the transfer portal despite that he doesn't that doesn't matter he's still going to utilize it he's still going to go after it the way good programs have to now and offensively he understands that you're only as good as your talent and you're only as good as your quarterback and that's why he's going after top 10 passers uh in the 2024 class i think brady drogosh could end up being one of the 10 best quarterbacks in this class, very possible. He's right there on that elite 11 track played in that event last year in the finals, was the worst charted passer in that event, but still played in it, still performed and was around all that talent. So I think Scottsfield totally gets it. And he's a coach that is going to mold his dual threat system to the best talent. Now, the interesting part of all this is Ben Bryant. He comes back to this program for his sixth year. Not going to enter the transfer portal. Doesn't even seem like he's testing the portal waters. And he's fully locked in, ready to try to win this job once again in 2023. And that makes me believe that the staff has told all of these quarterbacks what they told us in the media session yesterday the best player is going to play. But it's just so difficult to get these quarterbacks, a position that really only has one player playing, one of the rare positions in football where only one player plays at a time at that position to stay patient. And look at the overall future instead of just saying, hey, I'm not playing right now. I got to go find somewhere else. But for Ben Bryant, this is last year. He's not going to be able to transfer again next year. He's got one more year of eligibility left. And it's very interesting to me that he made that decision so quickly to come back. And it makes me think that the staff is really ready to throw all the balls out on the table and see where the chip. Fall essentially in terms of betting, betting puns or betting analogies, there when we get to spring camp and obviously in the heat of fall camp, and what will be, I would imagine, another contentious quarterback battle in at camp higher ground if they go back to higher ground, which I would imagine they'll keep that tradition going.
0: Yeah, that's definitely going to be, I think, the biggest storyline of the offseason. So here we go again, Russ. Here we go again with Ben Bryant. And I mean, he let's face it, he's the most experienced, he's the veteran um i I, look i know you and i were critical of his performance last year but i will say this when at his best he's accurate he makes good decisions and he can throw the football and i think we saw that over the course of the first four games this season and even though he struggled in the back half of the season they don't even have a chance to win against ucf it's not for ben bryant so And it's interesting, you know, a big what if is if he hadn't gotten hurt against Temple, would he have won the Bearcats the game against Tulane? I don't know. But one thing I do know is I just feel like Russ Ben Bryant does not fit Satterfield's system. So if he's the starter, what does that do for the Bearcats offensive scheme? Now, this is obviously, excuse me, sorry, um, months and months away. You know what? Today's day is December twenty second. If you're listening live, December twenty third. If you're listening to it on podcast form. So the first game's not till September second. I mean, we're still over eight months away. And yet, do you think that there's? Let, let me ask you this: Like, what happens if Ben Bryant's the starter to Satterfield's scheme offensively? And do who do you think right now has the edge in what could be a four quarterback battle going into spring? in the spring ball
1: i think it's head and shoulders emory jones there's a precipitous gap and then ben bryant another precipitous gap i would put brady Drogosh third right here and then another gap and evan prater like I, evan prater was who he was in practice in the games this year and i was thinking maybe that wouldn't be the case with his passing acumen But the guy cannot read the field right now. He just – he can't read the field as well as these other quarterbacks or as well as the quarterbacks we've already seen have college experience. Brady, drogosh, a complete wild card. We don't know how he's going to be able to see college defenses and read those. But Emory Jones has already won at a high level in the SEC, and Ben Bryant has already proven that behind a shakier offensive line than we've seen in this program at least over the past three to four years before the 2022 season – when you give him enough time, he can make his reads. He can go through his progressions. He can get the job done and pass for a pretty explosive um, aerial attack. So I think it's Emory Jones, Ben Bryant, Brady drogush and Evan Prater in that order. And I would be pretty shocked if, given Scott Satterfield's scheme, Emory Jones is not the starting quarterback in week one. Uh, Going into 2023, to me that would say that he has completely lost it. He deserved totally to be benched by Arizona State after eight games last year. The talent's just really not there. It can't be tapped into in a new scheme, and then you can go with the known quantity in Ben Bryant. But like, it's very that was the most surprising bit of news all day yesterday was Ben Bryant with that uh, battery loading emoji saying he's back for year six. Very, very surprising to me, given the scheme, the logjam at the quarterback position overall, and the fact that he could have had his pick of any place in the country to finish out his college career. But he chose to stay at Cincinnati, a place he originally picked back in high school.
0: It's definitely interesting. It's going to make for some fun shows uh, and conversations between us on this podcast as we head into what I think is the most important offseason in the history of the program. Um, so your money's on Emory Jones. I, I, I just want to see a dual threat quarterback, but here's my thing. Like Evan Prater has started the last two games first start. Okay. I'm not going to say it was a disaster, but it wasn't great. Didn't wow us Saturday at the Fenway bowl. Wasabi Fenway bowl, Russ. I, I mean, I came away from that game, and I'm like, it's only been two games, but Russ, I think that Evan Prater may not be the guy we thought.
1: No, I thought he, I, I just, I, I didn't know his arm was a, this kind of raw in terms of, just the lack of reps that we got to see overall at practice. I thought maybe he'd be able to tap into a little bit more arm talent, a little bit more consistency. And what was really evident at practice that I thought his legs would be able to help him out with more. And it just didn't really happen was the the reading the field. I just, the guy doesn't read the field as well as you need to read it in the college game. And against a top 20 defense in Tulane and a top 20 defense in Louisville, we saw exactly what happens when you have those issues. Now, to give him some benefit of the doubt here. They were, there was, I, I don't know how much you can actually read into the Louisville performance. Obviously, you can't read anything good into it outside of the prayer, kind of crazy miracle touchdown he threw to Wyatt Fisher in the first half. But they had Wyatt Fisher playing. The dude caught his first touchdown of his career. They had two receivers go over 30 yards. That's it. They had no passing production, no receiving production left on the team. Top six pass catchers, as you and I mentioned and went into ad nauseum last week on the show, all missing the Fenway Bowl. So it's it was it's clear that Evan Prater is not able to carry an offense on his own with his legs and arms at this point. Can he be aided and boosted his own talent by the, by great talent around him? We have not yet seen that, but if it's it's just. If you need great talent around you, we've seen this in the NFL, we see this, you want to find that elite guy. You're always looking for that better guy, that better option. And I just think Evan Frater showed that there are going to be better options, and there are definitely better options right now with where he is in his development as a passer. Maybe that changes in the offseason. Maybe the decision-making gets a lot quicker. Maybe the full-field reads get a whole lot cleaner with with the reps he goes through this offseason but I don't really know how that happens. You get those reps and you improve those skills by playing great defenses in practice, which he had a chance to do all, all season long, and by playing in games, which didn't get as many opportunities there, but the opportunities he did have went 17 of 41 passing for 185 yards, one touchdown, one interception, and a lost fumble against Tulane Louisville. That's just obviously not going to get it done, and it's not starter quality production.
0: I agree with that. It's unfortunate, but that is where we are at right now. And it's going to create an offseason full of storylines with the quarterback battle. You do have a lot of experience with Brian and Emery Jones. Then you have some raw talent with Evan Prater and Brady Drogosh, who's going to bring a lot, dual-threat quarterback from Michigan, going to bring that to the table for the Bearcats as well. Coming up. We will talk more about the Bearcats early signing class, other members that stand out, and then we'll talk some men's basketball on a three-game winning streak. Maybe what Wes Miller said after the Crosstown shootout, you can start to believe that, because I am. And I hope you are too. I'll explain all of that after a word from NHTSA. Did you know that driving high is considered driving under the influence? That's right. Driving under the influence Of Marijuana is against the law in every state, even in states where marijuana is legal. That means driving high could get you a DUI. And if you think law enforcement officers can't tell when you're driving high, you're wrong. Your friends can tell, your co-workers can tell, even your parents can tell, everyone can tell. So what makes you think that law enforcement officers don't know when you're driving high? Driving under the influence of marijuana can slow your response time and change how you would perceive time and speed. So even if you think you're fine to drive when you're high, you're not. Because the bottom line is, if you feel different, you drive different. And driving high is driving under under the influence. So please, this holiday season, remember, drive high, get a DUI. If you feel different, you drive different. Call a friend, call a cab an Uber, whatever you need to do, plan ahead of time so you don't have to drive under the influence because if you drive high, you get a DUI pay for, paid for by NHTSA. Hey, thanks for making Lockdown Bearcats. Thank you for making Lockdown Bearcats your first listen every day. Make sure to check out Lockdown Sports Today, the biggest stories around the sports world in 20 minutes or less, plus instant reactions, game recaps, and Lockdown's take of the day. Locked On Sports Today, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Tell you what, Russ, big game tonight in East Rutherford, New Jersey. Sauce Garner and the New York Jets. Sauce Garner recently named to the Pro Bowl, first Jets rookie to be named to the Pro Bowl since the 80s. Since the 1980s, Jets taking on the Jaguars. Russ, when the schedule came out for the NFL, did you think a Week 16 match between the Jaguars and Jets would have playoff implications?
1: No, but uh, my guy Jeff Bezos, I'm sure, is just – what is the Donald Duck gold diving meme where he spits out the gold coin? That's what Jeff's doing tonight because should be much better ratings tonight than it would have been – or anticipated to have been back in August.
0: Should be. So that game is tonight. Lots to more to get to here on Lockdown Bearcats. So the early signing day um, yesterday, headline – whoops – Headlined by, as I mentioned in the open, Brady Drogosh, Emery Jones, and uh, Luke Kandra. But you've got other players too. That, or rec- you got other players that comprise this class. So, if I can find the, uh, if I can find the um, article here, which so I can get a rundown list of players. Here we go. So. Russ, who else besides um, Luke Kandra, Drogosh, and Emery Jones, who else stands out to you in this class?
1: Well, I would probably go with uh, the two flip, two other flips. Well, the three flips. I kind of noted Barry Jackson, the Nebraska commit, uh, at Cedar Grove, Georgia, 588th-ranked recruit on 24-7 Sports Composite, 83rd-ranked uh, wide receiver, I think should be a really nice kind of speed type weapon option. Think trait or uh, Tyler Scott type of weapon where he can really burn you down the field. A little bit smaller, a little bit shorter, but a guy that can really make plays in the open field. And then the other t- the two Louisville flips that they got in the last week or so, both in the secondary. Jaden Davis had a fantastic All American Bowl this past weekend. Seven tackles, two interceptions. Scott Satterfield talked pretty uh, definitively yesterday about how in the secondary, the number one attribute he looks for is playmaking on the football. Can you catch the football in the secondary? Jaden Davis showed that off this past weekend. He's their third highest ranked uh, recruit right now at number 480 nationally. And then Raekwon Atkins, number eight eight 874 nationally on 24-7 Sports Composite. Another guy that Scott Satterfield noted and was very happy to flip from his time at Louisville, 11 interceptions over the last two years. Another great playmaker on the football. Uh, Satterfield kind of made a note how he's a little bit smaller on the 155-pound side. So I don't think we're going to see much of Atkins this season. But 2024, 2025, he should be a nice piece along that secondary once he adds about 15, 20 pounds to that 5'10 frame. That can make a lot of plays on the football. So Raquan Atkins and Jaden Davis, those were the two guys that really stood out to me. And other than that, running back-wise, playmakers, you got Manny Covey out of Bradford, Florida. He's a great, great kind of two-way back that can catch the ball in the backfield and make players miss inside the hole. Uh Ty Perkins, big play wide receiver, big winner at Ironton High School. Him and teammate Trevor Carter, a part of this class. Uh Perkins, three-star recruit, the lowest rated recruit on the Bearcats hall right now, but a guy that can make plays in the football. Ball long, six foot three hundred ninety pound receiver there, and Trevor Carter, another guy that probably has to put on some weight, as noted by head coach Scott Satterfield yesterday. He's their second highest rated recruit, just outside that four star ranking threshold. Number four thirty eight nationally on twenty four seven Sports composite. Just a hard nosed, heavy tackling hitter out of Ironton High School. Him and Ty Perkins, really, really sound teammates, and bringing a winning culture that is bred a winning culture and, and built a winning culture into Clifton over the past five, six years.
0: All right. So we're, today is December 22nd. If you're listening live 23rd, if you're listening to it on podcast, we are almost uh, just over three weeks or, or, or just under three weeks rather into the Satterfield era. And I, 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 see all the comments on, on, on our YouTube videos. You know, I think a lot of us are, are, are skeptical. I think a lot of us are, you know, maybe we don't like the hire. I personally do. I mean, I wanted a head coach from a Power 5 team. We got that. I wanted him to keep Kerry Combs and Walter Stewart. He did that. I wanted him to keep Brady Drogash. He's done that. And obviously, this is a smaller signing class than maybe we would have liked to have seen. Recruiting um, has taken a dip in terms of rankings. If you go on 24-7 and rivals are on three, you'll see those. But Russ, I think... When, when I look at this class and the players you just mentioned, one player who I didn't – I don't think I heard you mention his name, um, Trevor Radicevich, offensive line transfer from Penn. He's an early signee. Yep. And so I, I just think – and you mentioned all the playmakers. I think what really is going to have to happen this offseason is the Bearcats are going to have to somehow assemble a wide receiver room that can catch passes. Because, Russ, right now, I mean, who's whoever going to start a quarterback going to throw the ball to? And then one other position that I think is going to have to be rebuilt this offseason is the offensive line. Because it was a position that we viewed as a strength going into last year. Then the best player gets hurt, and now he's in the transfer portal. Jeremy Cooper and James Tunstall have recently said they're going to enter the NFL draft. And so now your offensive line is... Essentially, your 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 left side is gone, and your right side, um, with Gavin Gerhard, Lorenz Metz, and Joe Huber, and that's not bad, but it's not anything impressive. So I think that that's what this team needs to do this off season. And does this class help them do those two things?
1: Uh not as much as you'd like, and that's where the transfer portal keep coming in and that's why and after guys like Trevor Redasevich and, and Luke Kandra to try to beef up that offensive line to leading candidates to be starters next season. Uh when you look at like Lorenz Metz, will he be back next year? We do not know. He I think he has one more, more year of eligibility left. So he could return and and uh and use that COVID year with like to uh that would be a big boost for this offensive line. Just Tunstall as you mentioned already going uh already announced going to the NFL draft It's it's difficult. Jake Renfro headed to Wisconsin, or not headed to Wisconsin, but predicted to go to Wisconsin with head coach Luke Fickle. He's in the transfer portal right now. Dylan O'Quinn already went through his senior season, has spent five years with the program now, four years, so he could come back. It's possible for him to return. It'll be a mixing and matching. We'll see what happens. I would expect maybe one transfer portal lineman to come in for the offensive line, but I think that's a better spot than the receiver room the receiver room needs a lot of help a lot of help we didn't even mention will pauling in the transfer portal as well i mean just look through the receivers right now that are on the roster trey tucker gone quincy burrows freshman last year he'll be in the mix wyatt fisher not really in the mix redshirt senior just scored his first touchdown i don't see him climbing up the depth chart a whole lot in the offseason marcus peterson Maybe he's in the mix next year as a freshman. JoJo Bermudez in the portal. Will Pauling in the portal. Jaden Thompson in the portal. Tyler Scott declared for the draft. Drew Donnelly, he's a leading candidate to get a lot more run next year. Redshirt freshman. Ashton Kohler, depth piece. Never really made a big impact on this roster. Chris Scott, I think he might have entered the portal. I don't have that right in front of me, but obviously a depth piece. Not somebody you're going to be relying, relying on a whole lot. Blue Smith. Another guy, depth piece, not someone you want to rely on. Nick Mardner in the portal. And J.R. Thomas, haven't heard much from him, plus Leslie Ando, who was a freshman this year. There's just, like, Alex laid it all out right there. There's a whole lot of nothing in this wide receiver room right now. There is not even one go-to playmaker in that position, let alone two, and they have to figure that out very quickly.
0: Rare, uncertain territory, a wide receiver for the Bearcats in a position that we have become very familiar with, and it's been continuity that has been a part of that position and that groups for the better part of the last few years, five years of the Luke Fickle era, now an uncertainty going into the Satterfield era. Real quick, can I get your thoughts on the Wasabi Fenway Bowl from Saturday, Russ? Because I'm going to be honest, I think it's an embarrassing way to end the season. Even though you said last week people in Cincinnati really didn't care about the game, I did, you did, and that game just was a, a dud. I mean, the Bearcats' defense didn't really show up. Uh, the offensive line was a mess, and you had players changing their numbers at halftime. I mean, what what, what was that on Saturday against a, rivalry, a, a rival in a game where the Bearcats really weren't in it?
1: They never were, man. It was, uh, it was felt like explosive run after explosive run out of Jawar Jordan and that Louisville defense. And you know what? I'm going to go, I'm going to go zag here. I think it was a positive what happened on Saturday at the Fenway Bowl because what you saw was a dilapidated, completely gutted of talent game between two sides that lost their head coaches, lost a bunch of players to the transfer portal, lost a bunch of players to the NFL draft. And you know what we saw, Alex? We saw the better system winning out in this contest. The better system in Louisville, which had a completely full lemon of a backup quarterback out there. They still ran the football down the Bearcats throats when the Bearcats knew what was coming one of the top five yards per play defenses in the country this season. That outside zone running scheme looks like it could be very potent when Scott Satterfield transfers it to Cincinnati. And then you look at the defense, Brian Brown's scheme, and the fact that it just destroyed that offensive line with sacks. Yes, Evan Prater, under pressure is a a recipe that most defenses are going to want to tap into, given. How much I just described his lack of field vision and read progression really hurt the Bearcats over the final two games of the season. But that defensive line still had to come up with those pass, pass rush structures and those stunts and all those schemes to be able to get to that quarterback. And it worked beautifully. You saw their best players and Yasir Abdullah and the rest of that offense, that defensive line really shining in that showcase game. So I, if the Bearcats had won, cool. The Bearcats had lost which they did, cool. If they get beat by 20, which they almost did, cool. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't affect the overall trajectory of the program at all. It's another one of those meaningless bowl games like so many of these bowl games are nowadays with the introduction of the college football playoff. But what we did see is the system of Scott Satterfield overcoming a situation where both sides were bereft of talent.
0: It definitely, um, okay, positive from the Fenway Bowl. I like it. Hey, what I mean, what am I gonna say? They were bad? Like duh. We all know
1: that. Everybody used to watch the game. Everybody who everybody who cares enough about what I have to say about the Fenway bowl already knows that the Bearcats were really bad. So
0: Yeah, that was not a, a great game on Saturday. But what was a great game on Saturday was the Bearcats victory over LaSalle. They also won last night over Detroit Mercy on the hardwood. They also blew out Miami last week. Three game winning streak heading into conference play that starts next Thursday against Tulane. We'll talk about that, and we'll get to your questions, comments, after a word from two of our sponsors. So Bearcats men's basketball, Russ is on a three-game winning streak. After barely losing Xavier in the Crosstown shootout, the Bearcats have put up 103 points excuse me, against Miami, Ohio, 78 against LaSalle, 72 against Detroit Mercy. So their offensive scoring has gone down over the course of three games, but so too has the number of points they've allowed. 70, um, I think I should know this off the top of hand without even looking, against Miami, Ohio, they allowed 70, 76. 76, good thing I looked, 60 against LaSalle, 54 against Detroit Mercy. So they're starting to play better defensively. Russ, what have you seen the last three games? That gives you some optimism for this team heading into conference play.
1: Well, Justin Williams, the athletic, and I were talking about this last night during the game. Like, I just looked over at him. I was like, man, I just want to see this team play one, like, play a team in the middle of the pack of the country. Because he was like, yeah, you're right. They've literally only played outside of Bryant, who I will count in the 200 plus range when they play him in terms of Ken Palm ratings. Because Bryant is, I think, they enter the that game like 167 but they had six players out due to illness so the roster that they were putting on the floor was essentially a team in the 200 ranking range and then outside of those games every other game that they've played this season has been against Xavier a team ranked I believe 30th in Ken Palm right now or better teams 30th or better in Ken Palm or 200th or worse in Ken Palm and that's exactly what Detroit Mercy was last night what LaSalle was a couple nights ago, on this past weekend, and what what Miami was last week, in the first 100 point outing offensively for a West Miller coached UC team. I just want to see them play a couple games in a row against decent, more close competition. We're about to get that into Lane, who enters uh, this contest next week. They'll probably enter hovering in the high 80s to low 90s in Ken Palm, Cincinnati, sitting. Now as we speak, I think it's 71. Yep, they're 71 on Ken Palm with a nine and four record. A sound 55th in offensive efficiency and 81st in defensive efficiency. So no real even to the court weaknesses for the Cats team. And I'm going to say I am more optimistic. But can they continue this home stretch? Continue this great play at home? I'll count it against Xavier. 30 of the 40 minutes they played great basketball against the Musketeers and came up just short in that 80 to 77 loss so I believe they're turning in the right direction coach Miller agrees with me he said and noted that in the press conference last night how he was frustrated with the team's play in the first couple weeks of the season felt like they were kind of spinning their wheels a little bit trying to get this system of offense and defense really locked in and seeped into this roster but this team has kind of risen as Victor Lockin has risen over the past couple of weeks. The number four field goal percentage player in the country, hitting 72% of his shots, was 8 of 10 from the field against uh, against Detroit last night. 18 points, 15 rebounds, a career best performance at UC for Victor Locken, a guy who is my favorite player on the roster. Easily the most fun player to interview on the roster. He is a joy to want to put a mic in front of. He was talking about a uh, graduate assistant, Jalen Stowe. And we got insight into this when we were at practice on uh, what was it, on Tuesday. So him and Jalen Stowe were going at it hard. Their, their, Jalen Stowe was the defender, quote unquote, that he would be matching up against when they faced Detroit. And Stowe like, kind of needled him a little bit, got in his grill, really kind of frustrated Victor Lockin. and Lockin after the game last night was talking about how, oh, I I hate Stowe. I want Stowe to know that. I hate him. Like, just kind of playfully joking around and all that stuff. So the vibes are very good with this team right now. Victor Locken and his ascension has really stamped the upward trends for this roster, and it just feels like a lot of the offensive tendencies are contagious right now. You get a guy in Jeremiah Davenport last night who goes 3 for 15 from the field. Awful continuing his terrible start to the season, shooting less than 33% from the field overall. But he puts up five assists, one off his season high. That's something that I think can maybe start to become more of a trend and stay contagious on a team that over the last three or four games has, I believe, been over 15 assists in all of them. They're moving the ball really well, and they're a fun, fun team to watch play basketball right now against bad competition. Can they do this? against AAC competition, which I believe will afford you just one team outside the top 180 in Ken Palm, and that's the East Carolina Pirates.
0: How about that? So it's going to be a lot tougher going into AAC play starts next Thursday. you got Houston lurking. you got Memphis a few weeks out. So really looking forward to seeing how this team can continue their momentum into conference play. And like you said, being a fun team to watch. Last night they had 16 assists. Only four turnovers. The other, the game against the South, five starters, all five in double figures. Against Miami, they scored 103 points. It felt like they couldn't miss a shot in that game. So, and they were bad shooting last me, night.
1: They didn't shoot the ball very well at all. Yeah. And, uh, and one more note on that and game Jeremiah last night, Daven- Alex, four turnovers, the fewest this decade by a Bearcats basketball team.
0: This decade? How yeah, about fewest that? Yeah, since,
1: I believe, spring of 2019. Yeah, Jeremiah
0: Davenport really – Jeremiah Davenport really didn't have that great of a game either. I think he had only, I think he was 3 of 15 from the floor. So a rough night for him. And yet this team still, excuse me, managed to win um, by, already blanking on the final score, by 18 points, 78, 254. That's up to being down by 18 or 8 points early in the first half. We got a few minutes left. We'll get to... Some of your questions, comments, and concerns. Let's start at the top with B. Sewell 513. He he asks, so what's going on with Prater? Like, why are they going to waste his talent? Uh, Russ, that's something we talked about earlier today. He's talented, but he's just not showing it in practice and games. And that's ultimately how you're going to get playing time, right?
1: Right. Like, if, if if the talent is there, let's see it you got to come out when the lights are bright and perform. I, I, don't, I don't need to go through. I need to get through this. Stat- 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 line. Under 45% completion, multiple turnovers, one passing touchdown in two games. Yes, against very difficult competition. But isn't the goal to face difficult competition? Isn't that the goal of football? To face the best, beat the best, and, the best, and then be the best? You can't let those excuses get in the way of the facts. Yeah given his opportunities this season and in his career at UC has not performed at the standard. And I think he would agree with that. And I, he's probably ready to prove everyone wrong and keep working at his craft this off season. And I'm ready to see him improve if he's able to. All right.
0: Our last question um, is about men's basketball. Let's see what we got here. So this John white 17 is Kalu really as bad as his minutes. Just feels like we need additional post help. He doesn't even get garbage minutes. Just to overview, Kalu Izikpe in his first season with the Bearcats transfer from old Dominion. Um, he has, whoops, he has played 87 total minutes this season. He played 15 on Saturday against LaSalle, but prior to that, he had a stretch of five games with nine, eight, three, four, and six, including missing the Bryant and Crosstown shootout games played 12 in Northern Kentucky 13 in the first game against Chaminade. Russ, what are your thoughts on that? Is Kalu really as bad as his minutes suggest? Cause I know he's been underwhelming this season, but um, to John white 17's uh, question is his lack of playing times as bad as his, you know, maybe play suggests. And do, do we see more of him heading into the conference play? Uh,
1: to answer the two questions, yes and yes. Kalu has been very bad this year. He's been bad in practice. I don't know what the explanation is. He went from leading the team and scoring in one of the preseason scrimmages to just hasn't gotten it. He hasn't gotten it. Hasn't been one of those players that's clicked things over following the first two weeks of the season. And I'm not very confident. We're going to see a whole lot of Kalu Zikpay this season. I don't believe he played last night. Only saw three minutes against LaSalle. Has played over ten minutes once in the past three weeks. I I just since the November sixteenth has not played over ten minutes. I don't know that we're going to see a whole lot of Kalu, especially given the fact that this was his time to take advantage. You got Rob Fennessy out, John Newman out, two key rotation players uh, with minutes up for grabs. And from what we've seen in practice, what we've obviously seen in the games, it just hasn't been there to get taken. For uh, for Kalu in terms of those opportunities, and I'm I'm not quite sure we're going to see those opportunities expand, especially given the fact that Victor Locken to start the season, first eight games or so was hovering between 17 and 19 minutes per game. Played 29 minutes last night was on Wednesday night against um, Detroit was fantastic in those 29 minutes, did not seem like the conditioning hurt him. I don't believe he had a single foul in the game, so he didn't make any fatigue mistakes there. If if he's going to give you 29 strong minutes after only giving you 19 strong in the first eight games of the year, well, there you go. That's 10 minutes of basketball that aren't going to Kalua Zikpe's way in the front court. And Odio Guama has gladly taken advantage of Kalua Zikpe's struggles this year. He has been much, much more efficient in 2022 than in 2021. And I'm I'm. Like and what the energy factor uh, Odio Guama gives you is putting on the table for this Bearcats offense and defense in the front court that was very shaky to start the season. And I think has found two definitive staples over the past three to four games in Victor Locken and Odio Guama.
0: I noted that on today's show how Odio Guama, when he comes off the bench, because Victor Locken does have a tendency at times to get in foul trouble. And so when you have a guy like Odio Guama who can come off the bench and pick up the slack, like he, I mean, he had a really good performance I thought last night and I thought he played well in the shootout as well. So to have that extra depth piece off the bench, uh, he is really just improving and Victor Lockett has taken leaps and bounds this season. His first season as as a starter, he didn't start any game last year, but you look at some of his numbers. I mean, he's starting to remind me of Trey Scott and that's saying something when you talk about, um, Trey Scott, one of the all time great rebounders in the history of Bearcats basketball, especially that senior season that he had in twenty twenty. Russ, I know you got to run. Um, this was fun. We'll do it again. One, next more, week. one more
1: note. Trey Scott, Alex. Guess who's the last Bearcat to have fifteen plus rebounds in a game? Trey Scott. That would be him. I think he had. I think he and has I'm gonna, the last the last twenty point game, which is or twenty rebound game, which happened in a double overtime back in twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen. I remember
0: right. that game. Yes, yep. I remember that game vividly. I called that game with my good there friend go. Caleb Taylor, um, former colleague. That game, Russ. I don't know if you remember that game. The Bearcats jumped out to a big lead. You thought they were going to run away with it. It end, uh Javen Cumberland hit a three to send it to double overtime. The Bearcats. End up losing the game. Jaron Cumberland hit a half-court shot, but after the buzzer had sounded, uh, yep. so that was a yep. a wild, wild game. And what was a wild season? First season under John Brandon. Oh, boy, that brings back some memories. First season was fun. Second season, not so much. But good, good, good um, reference there, Russ. So here's something weird: there are no football or men's basketball games, or no games, period, around the University of Cincinnati. Until we talk again next week. Yep. Now, what's interesting, Russ, is you and I are going to talk next Thursday, right? Next Thursday, which will
1: We can go Wednesday cuz the game's on Thursday. So, we'll go Wednesday and preview the game.
0: Game is on Thursday? Okay, so we go Wednesday. Well, it, 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 it'll definitely be before the game, but we'll we'll, we'll be back another live room. look yep. ahead to conference, the conference opener. I mean, this is really an interesting time for football because we don't have spring ball until March, but we'll find some stuff to talk about, I'm sure. Yeah, um, there'll
1: be some staff at staff additions. Scott Satterfield noted in his press conference yes. yesterday, or on Wednesday, that he would like to get the staff fully fleshed out before the okay. students come back on January 9th. So over the next three to, yeah, two to three weeks, that. a lot of news there.
0: Yeah, and one of those positions that needs to be filled is a big one. Offensive coordinator, that'll be a talking point. Next week on Lockdown Bearcats, maybe Russ, I'll, I'll throw in because you, you and I both know Monday, Monday night, January second, there is a monster game going down at Paycor Stadium in Cincinnati between the Bengals and the Bills. But first, we got to get through New England.
1: Yeah, New England should be uh, an interesting contest. I don't think the Bengals will have much issue. I don't expect them to trail at all in this game against one of the worst offenses in the NFL. Matt Patricia. Wow. Who could have predicted that would go poorly? Oh, just everybody yeah. outside of the New England building. But that's a whole nother podcast right there. Bengals, I think, yeah. in this, this game game okay. and set up a big, big matchup against the yeah. Buffalo Bills on Monday Night Football. Yes. Be a lot of
0: fun. yes. I'll I'll pick the Bengals to win. I'll say twenty seven to twenty. Um yeah, I'll go twenty four twenty. 20, 20. 24, 20. I, I just think I know we're running on here. I just think they have a lot of injuries on defense and it showed in the first half against Tampa Bay, Russ. Like, I, I mean, like they were getting no pressure on Brady. The wide receiver, Tampa Bay's wide receivers were like, had five yards of separation every play. And by the way, shout out to all the Bengals fans who went to the game and Russ, it felt like a home game in the second half. It really did. It sounded um, like it. It really did. Um. So, and I, I'll just say this, lost in all this, Josh McDaniels beat Bill Belichick last week
1: what a game what a, that what, a, what a, I have no words. I'm out of words now on this podcast after we got it got the okay. into the uh, got into the, oh, the I just calling the Oakland Raiders we need to end this we' need to end this right here Boom! Oh, you, the you Vegas could, Raiders really get the, get, end it now. The we're, we're finishing Raiders. this podcast like the like the New England Patriots finished last week's game
0: <laughs> He's Russ Hellman. The kick you can the can him on he's Russ Hellman. you can follow him on Twitter at Russ 11. you can follow me on Twitter at Frankie underscore natty on Instagram Alex underscore email me at Alex 3 Frank at Gmail. Com. Hey, thanks for making Lockdown Bearcats your first listen today. Now make Lockdown Sports Today your second listen. Peter Bukowski brings you the biggest stories from around the sports world in 20 minutes. Get the analysis and opinions before anyone else with our local and national experts and insiders. Lockdown Sports Today podcast available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast. Thank you for joining the live room. We will be back next week. Russ, Merry Christmas to you and your family. Um, I hope you have a great holiday season. Hope all of you listening have a great holiday season. Wishing all of you a Merry Christmas. Wishing all of you a Happy Hanukkah. And we will be back here. I'm taking Monday off. I'm going to take the Monday after Christmas off. So I'm thinking Tuesday we'll pick things back up. Um, Josh Neighbors will join me. We're going to start a weekly, uh, weekly show. Uh, crossover Lockdown Bearcats, Lockdown Big 12. Russ, you're going to be with me one day next week. And uh, we'll see what happens throughout that. But... uh. Russ, have a happy holiday season and uh we'll talk next week, man. Of course, Alex it was a lot of fun. Go Bengals this weekend
1: and yes, we'll talk that. next week. Of conference play in the AAC should be a lot of fun. Final trip through it for the basketball team. The last dance, as one might as some might say. There you go.